0: for the longest time prayer was something that was pretty confusing to me um we i mean prayer is a basic thing right people of all various faiths pray and yet uh prayer sometimes was was just confusing i don't know we pray over our marriages we pray over a lost cat to be found we we pray at hoop fest we pray you know I'm praying right now that my keys that I lost last Sunday here at church will be found, that one of you will confess, and I'm praying for that. We pray, you know, those with great faith pray for people to be healed, maybe even people who are blind to see, or for the Mariners to win the World Series. I say prayer is confusing because sometimes it seems as though God answers certain prayers and disregards others. I mean... if I'm being honest, it feels that way. It seems that way. That sometimes we pray and it's like a text message to God and boom, he answers. And then other times it feels like snail mail that got lost in Alaska. Like he's forgotten about me. I don't, I don't know. And I don't want to waste my time. If I pray and I pray in faith, I want God to answer and I want him really i want him to answer my way i want him to answer on my timetable i'm patient but not that patient and i want and i want it to work out the way i have in my head for a good solution to work you know i've got various options a b c d but but i need it to be one of those options but often god doesn't answer right when we thought he would and he doesn't answer in the way that we would have done it ourselves and it's very easy for me to get very discouraged and basically to just give up to give up and yeah i'll give the obligatory prayer kind of recover those areas that maybe i lifted up to god before but he hasn't done yet but it's very easy to get to get discouraged and to give up Um, we also tend to pray more as a last resort rather than a first response you know what i mean when something's going on in your life, rather than just, boom, going to prayer, we often try everything else that we know of to do to resolve the problem, and then if all else fails, pray. Isn't that sad that we we kind of go that route, rather than to start with prayer, to just invite the Holy Spirit into whatever our need is, and to say, Lord, just Even if it just takes some basic creativity or some problem-solving skills, Lord, just help me solve this, this problem. And just to kind of foster that relationship with the Holy Spirit where we're asking all of the time for God to be a part of our various needs and the solutions that we need to see. So let me ask you, when you pray, do you expect an answer? Do you expect an answer? When you pray, do you feel... That God cares for you personally. That he cares. That he cares for you and he cares about whatever it is you're praying about, big or small. When you pray, do you invite other people into the process of prayer? Into the very activity of prayer? Do you invite others into it? To pray with others? And and do you pray as a first response or as a last resort? we're going to look at a scripture this morning out of john chapter 11 we're going to see some important things about prayer and uh, i want to read the whole story to you and it's the story of lazarus so if uh, you brought a bible you can open it with me and if not we're not going to display it but you'll just need to enter into this story as you listen along it's found in john chapter 11 now A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, in his spirit, and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face unwrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. Lord, we just thank you for your word and we thank you that you're a God who works miracles. You are a God who seeks glory not for his own ego but seeks glory so that many people would know that you are awesome and mighty and powerful, that we might put our trust and faith in you. So, Lord, would you, in these moments we're together, God, speak to us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the story, Mary and her sister Martha, they were friends with Jesus. They had a brother by the name of Lazarus. Jesus would often come to their village and come to their home and he would eat with them and they would hang out and they would talk, they would laugh, probably play games. They would pray together. Jesus would teach them. But he was far more than just, just a teacher or a rabbi in their lives. He was actually a personal friend in their lives. Mary would sit at his feet, and Lazarus would hang out, and they became like a surrogate family to Jesus, because Jesus, as many of you know, was an itinerant preacher, teacher, traveling, moving about, didn't have a place to lay his head. And so these people became very, very special. Jesus loved these people dearly, and he was close to them. When Jesus hears of his friend's illness, he doesn't catch the first bus to Bethany, Instead, the scripture tells us that he stays two days longer. See, Mary and Martha were very concerned because their brother Lazarus had uh, fallen ill. All of a sudden, very quickly, he took a turn for the worse. Everything they did wasn't working. The doctor came, but he wasn't helping. And they were losing their brother, so they sent word to where Jesus was. Obviously, they somehow knew where he was speaking at any given time and so word goes to jesus jesus ends up staying where he is and he says the illness does not lead to death it is for the glory of god and for whatever reason jesus just doesn't appear to be in a rush to go and solve that problem he decides to stay and in the meantime lazarus his friend dies Relatives and friends, they bring meals over to console Mary and Martha and and the others in the family. They're they're heart-shocked. I mean, it happened too soon. Lazarus was too young. He had his whole life ahead of him. And, you know, they did everything they could, but it failed. And they even asked God to come. They prayed. They invited Jesus, their friend, to come to town. And he didn't. What a friend we have in Jesus, whatever. So they called the local rabbi, he did the funeral, people came together, they spoke kind words over Lazarus, what a great guy he was, they put him in a tomb, they closed it with a a stone uh, rock that they rolled over the door, much like they did when Jesus died, and Jesus was apparently too busy helping everybody else. Then in verse 17, it says, Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, started to stink. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went, she met him, and Mary remained seated in the house. Now, make no mistake about it, these two gals are ticked off. They're very angry. At Jesus, very disappointed. Apparently, he didn't care enough to come to their aid. They both heard uh, that Jesus was coming into Bethany. But remember, not only did they not come, not only did Jesus not come to help solve the problem when Lazarus was sick, but he didn't even attend the funeral. And look at these two responses of the two sisters, um, because I think most of us can relate to that. One of them, Martha, is going to be the confronter. She's going to be the one to go directly down, get in Jesus' face, confront him, talk to him, invent her anger, kind of aggression. Mary, on the other hand, is going to sit and be upset in the house, kind of the passive-aggressive response. And we normally fall into either of those two, don't we? Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You can kind of picture her just doing that. Why? Why weren't you here? We called for you. We heard that you you got the letter. We heard that you knew that he was sick. And you decided to stay two days longer. And in the meantime, your friend, my brother, dies. We called to you. We waited. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the last day when the resurrection happens, you see, They believed in the resurrection, that there would be a general resurrection. The Pharisees believed that. Martha and Mary believed that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised. There will be a resurrection that happens. Jesus wanted them, though, to know something very specific about the resurrection it wasn't just this general resurrection what he said is i am the resurrection and the life jesus claimed to be the one that would bring about resurrection in our lives that he would bring beauty out of ashes that he would raise the dead that he not only raises the dead in the last day but he also raises dead things now in our life according to romans 6 that's what baptism represents A death and a resurrection. Going under the water represents us dying to our sin. And then coming up out of the water represents a resurrection to a new life. A new life in God. A new life of experiencing freedom. Power in the Holy Spirit. A new life of transformation. Our river baptism is coming up really soon. In just a couple of weeks. And uh, if you've never been baptized, don't delay any longer. Get baptized. Sign up for it. There's a class coming in a week or so, and you want to be there for it this year. Resurrection. Baptism. But see, we'll literally rise from the dead one day. We will literally rise from the dead. And yet Jesus is raising things from the dead even as we speak like people who have been dead in their trespasses and sins. You see, there's nothing that pleases the heart of God more than finding a person who is far from him, who is living a dead life, a life filled with selfishness and sin and problems and issues and loving it and redeeming it and setting it free and resurrecting it. See, God is doing that as we speak. Friend, where is it that you need to see the power of God released In your life. Where do you need to see it? Maybe it just starts with forgiveness of your sin and a a fresh start, a clean slate, a second chance. Or possibly it's an area of a dream, something that you prayed over, you've cared about, you've envisioned for your future, and yet it hasn't happened yet. Or a relationship with someone that has gone south and has died, and it's just withering on the vine, and you need to see. God, break in and break through and bring new life to something within your life. Possibly it's breaking free of an, of an addiction. See, we all have areas within our life that we need change, and we need the power of God to, to, to intersect with our need and our life and bring something back to life. Well, Martha goes back into the house, and she finds her passive-aggressive passive sister, Mary, sitting in a chair reclusing. Saying, I don't even want to see him. I am so angry right now. And and she says, I talked to Jesus. And he asked about you. And he wants to talk to you. So she immediately gets up and she hastily goes down to see Jesus. He's still on the outskirts of Bethany. The other family members and the other friends all see her jump up and run down. And they think she's going to the tomb to weep. So they all get up. Her entourage follows her out. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, you had been here, my brother would not have died. She gets honest with God, and she blames God for what had happened to her brother. And then we see something of the heart of God, which I absolutely love. A little bit of heaven gets peeled back, and we get this backstage pass into the heart of God himself. See, Jesus could have rebuked them both for getting in his face. Jesus could have, could have ignored them and walked off. But, but look at what he does. How does God respond to their pain? How does God respond to your pain? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I love that. God is not passive, but he's deeply moved and he's greatly troubled. He's sympathetic. And what that word, uh, deeply moved in his spirit, actually means in the original language is that he snorted in anger, in anger. His spirit is grieved. His heart is breaking. And he's not angry at them. He's angry at the devil angry at death and he feels the pain and the brokenness all around him and he enters into that and he sighs this deep guttural sigh i remember when tisa and i uh we were pregnant with the our third boy we looked so forward to it we had made our plans we prayed over and named john michael like we did our other boys we arranged the nursery We bought the maternity clothes. We wore them. Well, Tisa wore them. Late in the pregnancy, we had the worst news of our life. He died. Tisa had to deliver him dead. We held him and we wept. And then we had to go and pick out a baby casket and we buried him in Prescott, Arizona. We had a funeral. Death makes you angry. And and I'm glad that it makes God angry too. And and I'm glad that Jesus didn't just turn to uh, Mary and Martha and say, you know, death is just a natural process and give give them some heady, logical explanation, but that he enters into this thing with emotion, with grief, with anger. And that is what I love about peeling back the heart of God and seeing his very heart you see we were meant to live forever we were not meant to die in the beginning that God meant us to have a relationship with him that would last into all eternity never experiencing death and yet because of the choices of the first man and woman that we died we experienced both spiritual death and a physical death. And we've been ever since trying to get it back, haven't we? So we take supplements and we work out and we learn more about how we can live an extra year longer. You know, Dr. Ozel teaches us how to expand our life by an extra two or three years. And man, we get excited about that. But we're all going to die one person per box. And yet God made us to live eternally. Jesus, in verse 25, said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, Jesus is the one, God's answer, God's remedy to this world's pain and problems and even death, that Jesus is the one that Gives us resurrection, gives us life, gives us eternal life as we come into relationship with him. And then he asked her, do you believe it? Do you believe it? And she said, yes. Yes, Lord, I do. And can I just ask us this morning, do you believe it? Do you believe in the resurrection? And do you believe that Jesus specifically is the resurrection and the life? Is he worth bowing your knee, surrendering your will, living your life to his purpose and plan? Well, Lazarus, he had been in the grave, in the tomb, in the rock for four days. His body would have started to decay, started to smell. And uh, Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then we have the shortest verse in the Bible, and I think the most impacting, powerful verse, Jesus wept. And if you've ever wondered if God cares about you, if you've ever wondered if he listens to your prayer, if you've ever wondered, how does God respond to my waiting and to my impatience or to my pain, to my suffering? This is it. He feels our pain, he's mad over death, he grieves when we choose sin. And it shows us that God has a heart That God cares. He's not just this impersonal force. He's not just a yin or a yang. He's not a concept. He's not just positive energy. God is a person who's moved by our pain and by our suffering, by injustice, and he gets joy-filled when we make good choices and when we choose the better things. See, we can know him and we can walk with him and we can experience fellowship with god not just serve a religion and that's good news that's what i wanted from the very beginning of why i became a christian is it was news to me that i could enter into a relationship with god so the jews said see how he loved him but some of them said could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying And the short answer to that is yes. Yes, he could have done that. And they're going and they're thinking where many people go when bad things happen, and that is to a a very skeptical, very cynical place where, God, if you loved me, you would not have allowed this to happen. If you had loved them, you would not have allowed that to happen to them, whoever them is, family member, friends, somebody over in another country, If God was love, he wouldn't allow that. And yet this very passage is revealing to us that God is love and that he cares. And that yet suffering still hits our life. Hardship still hits our life. And that's what they were saying. They were just saying, you know, the guy who opened the eyes of the blind, I mean, doesn't the same guy have the power to do something about this? You see, for God's love to be real... For us to experience love back towards him, we have to have the ability to not love him. or it's programmed, it's automated. And so God has given us a free will. God has placed within the heart of man not only eternity, but also the capacity and the choice to choose to love him and worship him or deny him and get angry at him and walk away from him or just say, I don't believe and I'm not going down that path. God, that you've heard me, and I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that you may, that they may believe that you sent me. And then when Jesus said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said, Unbind him, let him go. Now, why did Jesus delay coming when Lazarus was sick and he heard about it? And the scripture teaches us here that he did it to reveal more of God's glory. And we may not like that answer, but that's what the Bible teaches, is that he did it in order to reveal more of God's glory, because waiting meant a larger miracle with more people watching where Jesus would receive the glory and more people would place their trust and faith in him. So why didn't Jesus prevent Lazarus, his friend, from dying? To help as many people as possible place their trust in him as God. The door, the way, he's the truth and the life. He's the way to the Father. See, he allowed one thing to happen in order that something bigger and better could happen. Because when God's glory is revealed, everybody wins. Everybody does. The purpose of the miracles, the purpose of the healings and the feedings and all of these blessings is not just for the people who were present in that moment. It's also for people who would hear about it thousands of years later like you and me. Building our faith. Building our trust. Helping us see the very heart of God. So let me just wrap things up here and just ask the question, what if when tough stuff happens in your life, in my life, instead of asking the question, God, do you care? God, do you love me? God, where were you? What if if we said, God, where are you at work? God, what do you want to do in me? God, where are you about to reveal your glory? And God, help me be patient as you come into the situation, but in a timing that's something different than what I expected. And I want to just ask us to respond to Jesus this morning. Because some of us are like the two sisters, Mary and Martha, and we respond in our different ways where we're disappointed in God. We're disappointed that he's waiting, that he's taken so long. We feel ignored. And so we stonewall him, keep him at arm's length. He calls us into a place of intimacy, but so many people, so many Christians do not experience intimacy with God. It's like a head scratch. You're like, what are you talking about? And yet... God invites us into a place of intimacy, but it means we've got to deal with the anger and the resentment and, 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 and the passive-aggressive nature that many of us have in, in stonewalling him and just coming to him and getting honest like both Mary and Martha did and just saying, God, where were you? Why did this happen? Or where are you in my life right now today? We just begin to interact conversationally and from our heart in a very authentic relationship with god and he, and he won't he won't he's not threatened by that he won't send you away. he loves real, honest, and authentic conversation. See why did Paul the apostle spend years in prison, even though he prayed and he wanted to be out talking to people about christ and and yet he he suffered, and yet we We received much of the New Testament because of his pain and because of his suffering, because it was the glory of God revealed. Don't respond like those who are trying to console Mary and Martha who just got skeptical and cynical because that ends up just in a dead-end place where we see ourselves and our own logic as kind of the end-all in understanding God. And when we can't, when we can't categorize it, measure it, understand it, God doesn't come through when we asked him to give us the clear explanation written out in triplicate and given to us and and he doesn't do that, then we just go, well, I, I don't get it then. And yet it's an opportunity to trust. To trust the very heart of God who loves us is deeply moved by our pain and by our trouble that he's a good God and his plan is good. He wants more and more people to experience his resurrection power. And that life is not all about me experiencing a problem-free existence. Life is about living to the glory of God. And it's about intimacy with Christ. And it's about loving him and loving other people. And walking through often dark places in our life where God has apparently forgotten us. Where he is waiting and we're not sure why. And I encourage you to continue to trust and hope and believe and keep walking in faith, knowing that he cares? He has a plan. He has a reason. He's grieved. He even gets angry over things that might even anger you as well. And maybe you're here today and you're like Lazarus. You're the, you're the one bound. You're the one experiencing kind of a, a spiritual death. And you need a resurrection. You need release from a bondage, from an addiction, from a pain, from a lie, maybe, that you've even told yourself over the course of your life. And God wants to set you free, and he continues to speak our name, saying, come out, unbind him, loose him, loose her, set her free. Do you hear him calling to you, just as he did to Lazarus, come out? Be set free and for every christian. We can thank god We can thank the lord jesus that one day when christ returns to this earth at his appointed time He will speak your name He will call you out of the grave like he did lazarus and you will see him face to face and we'll weep with tremendous joy And jesus will take his nail scarred hand and wipe those tears away from your eyes And he will embrace you and he will say, welcome home. And it will have been worth the wait. So you have that prayer request that you filled out for yourself. That's yours, between you and God. And I want to encourage you to begin praying again over that. Praying in faith, not understanding maybe why God has waited this long, not giving up, not just getting skeptical or cynical but allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe some fresh life and to resurrect something that has been dead. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you hear us in the very same way you prayed to the Father. We know, God, that as we pray in your name, that you hear us. You hear us always. You know all of our needs. You know those big needs and those small things, and all of them matter to you. Because we matter to you. And our prayer is simple this morning, God. We're asking that you resurrect things in our life. Resurrect hope. Resurrect within us, Lord, a fresh faith. Place within us, Lord God, a desire for intimacy with you. Help us deal, Lord, with anything that may stand between us and you. Anything we've stuffed down there that is still angry, still hurt, still disappointed. Lord, would you help us begin to let that stuff come up and talk to you about it and be released from it so that we can move into a relationship with you, God, that is real, that is transparent, where we're experiencing the transforming grace of God in our life. Jesus, thank you that when you died, you died as eternal God in place for my sin so that I wouldn't have to pay the penalty of my sin into all eternity. God, thank you for eternal life. Thank you for setting us free. We receive that. I receive that today. And I look forward to that day, Lord, a final resurrection where we spend all eternity with you.